Thanks for finding us. This is a message recorded at Fairfax Assembly in Bakersfield, California. You can find out more at fairfaxassembly.com. We all like blessings, right? We all like to be blessed, however that comes down. Physically, materially, financially, spiritually, emotionally, we, we like blessings. But blessings are not what makes life good. As good as blessings can be, that is not what makes life good. The gospel, the good news of Christ, that the unimaginable has happened and our Messiah, our Deliverer, our Savior is God Himself, the second person of the Trinity. You couldn't invent that. And that He comes to shoulder our sin and pay for our debt. And that he is killed, but he rises again. He defeats the greatest of enemies. He rises again from the grave. The gospel is a blessing, a huge blessing. The Bible is a blessing. Good music is a blessing. Food, a blessing. Family, our church, all blessings. I can't deal with all the blessings that God gives us. There are too many. So let me just for a few minutes pick out three blessings of the gospel of, that, that come because of the good news that Jesus has come, He's lived, He's died, He's risen again, and He's got more in the future. Just three blessings of that message, of that good news, to show you something. And the three blessings I want to choose are forgiveness, adoption, and eternal life. Those are all blessings that come because of the good news of Jesus. Forgiveness, adoption, eternal life. We would say they are all good blessings, but here's why. Take forgiveness first. Forgiveness. When the slate is wiped clean, and whatever we have said or done or thought about that has put distance between us and God, that has been self-destructive, that has put space between us and other people, it is cleared away, and even the stain of it is gone. In the old part of the Bible, they covered. That's what the altar and the blood sacrifice was about. The word kafar, the sin was never forgiven, but it was covered. It was covered up against the day when it would be erased and done away with, it's forgiven. Forgiveness clears the way, listen, for enjoying God. Sin puts a barrier between you and your God. Forgiveness removes it so that you don't have to fear God. You don't have to dread God. You don't have to feel uncomfortable at the thought of God, but you can now, because of forgiveness, it's wiped clean, you can enjoy God. You can be part of the relationship that is Father, Son, and Spirit. You get invited into that. Forgiveness clears the way for you to enjoy God. Adoption. Adoption is the focus of the message. We, we think sometimes that forgiveness that I just mentioned, that that's the important thing, or repentance, or conversion. Or, or if you're a real Bible student, justification is the thing. But those are not the thing. Those are not the goal that God has set for us. Adoption. Adoption by Him, once complete, gives you full and free access to the pleasure 
and the presence of God. When you realize, I've been adopted by the king. (laughs) Then you get access to the pleasure in the presence of God. Eternal life, another important part of the gospel that we talk about. But eternal life becomes the everlasting enjoyment that never ends of Father, Son, and Spirit, and you're right in the middle of it. But let me start to pull this all together by saying God is what makes life good. It's not the blessings. God is what makes life good. And everything is leading you to that good God. Forgiveness, adoption, eternal life, it all leads you to the arms of this relationship that you and I have named God. There's an emblem on the front of the pulpit. There was a young lady that came a few weeks ago and she told somebody, ooh, I think that's a Satan symbol. (laughs) Not quite. But there are three interlocking fish, Father, Son, and Spirit, surrounded by a circle. And what the desire of God is, is to put you right in the middle of that. That's what God wants. And everything is leading to that. It all leads you into God. In the middle of that is where He wants you. But everything in life is leading you to that. Every good thing, every blessing is leading you to God. That's why you have it. The enjoyment of children, yours or somebody else's, or music, or what you read, or the taste of good food, or the, or the sight of birds flying free, or, or the, the fragrance of flowers when they're fully bloomed out. It all leads you to God. That's what it's designed to do. But so does every bad thing, every argument, every tragedy, every sickness, every confusion, every reversal, every wound, every mistake, every hurtful word absorbed or spoken every fear or or every moment of discouragement, it's all leading you to God. If you'll let it, everything in your life is leading you to the God who makes life good. i got to tell you, though, that the good experiences, the things we call blessings, the good poem, the good song, the, the spending an hour immersed in the Word, They lead to God, but they lead on a different path than that trip to the urgent care or fight with a friend or that distressing bit of good news that pulsates out of Washington and Sacramento that upsets you. But whatever the path, it all leads to God. And at the end of it all, He's got a gift for you. He wants to give you the gift of Himself. Let me get just personal for a minute. Somebody somebody in this room, two or three weeks ago, we were talking about something else and made an offhand comment along the lines of, and it wasn't meant maliciously, or, and I didn't take it that way, but they made an offhand comment along the lines of, you know, it would be good. We probably need to focus more on souls. And it, the person said it and, and didn't dwell on it, and it, that's why I say I think it was just offhand. But I found myself thinking about that. We need to focus more on souls. 
my soul, your soul, lost souls, wounded souls. And it led me to what Paul was thinking as he was focusing on souls in his letter to the Romans, chapter 9. And he's focused on souls so intently that it's causing him anguish. I imagine he can't sleep. He can't seem to think about anything else for the next three chapters at least. He says at the beginning of chapter 9, focusing on souls, I speak the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why? For I could wish that myself, I myself, were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. He thinks the unthinkable. He's saying, in effect, I would be willing to trade my own salvation for their souls. For the souls of my people who do not know Christ, I would be willing to trade. And here's why. Here's part of his dilemma. Because he sees in his people a richness. He says theirs is the adoption to sonship. They were the first people, the chosen people, to hear the, the, the story. What God wants is to adopt you. He wants us in his family. They were the first to learn about that adoption. Theirs is the divine glory. They were the only people that the Shekinah, the presence of God, was given to. And he dwelt with them for 40 years in the desert. He traveled with them in the person of a column of fire and cloud. And then when they built a temple and a tabernacle, he inhabited it visibly, the Shekinah, the glory of God. They were the only people that could claim that. You don't believe that. Watch later Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what kills the Nazis, right? They were the only ones. Theirs are the patriarchs, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is over all, God over all, forever praised. There's where the descendants, he says, who will bless mankind. And his people have blessed mankind, but more importantly, the Messiah would come. And he says they're lost, and my heart is broken, he says, and I, and I would be cursed myself if they could somehow see what I've seen. Well, as I pondered on that, and this is the personal part, here's one of the ways I've been focusing on souls, and I'm not asking you or expecting you to do the same thing, but I've been going around to Jewish friends, meeting new friends, with the express desire to present the Messiah to them in a way that they maybe had never thought of it. Not in a pushy way. And so when they ask me, as I begin to talk, some of them have said, are you a Christian? And to disarm them, I say, I wouldn't say that. Because I'm not sure what the world means by that word anymore. It has been muddied up, you know. Every time a politician pulls a Bible out from under his desk at just the right moment and, and claims to be a Christian, it ruins the whole thing. 
And so I tell them, I wouldn't say that, and I wouldn't say that because I don't know what you mean by that word. And so I tell them I'm a not-so-good follower of Jesus, the rabbi from Nazareth. Because I really do believe that Jesus never called anybody to convert to anything, to Judaism or to Christianity or anything else. At least the way I read it, all he asks is that we follow him, become his disciples, his apprentices. Follow me, and let's see where this goes. See if I don't change your life. See if the quality of your life doesn't change. See if your thinking doesn't change. See if your family doesn't change. See if your future doesn't change just because you go where I go and you do what I do. And so I tell them, I'm a not-so-good follower of Jesus. That's who I am. In the hopes of helping them to see that He really is the Messiah. And that the unthinkable has happened. The Messiah that everybody has looked for turns out to be God Himself. Well, that's what I've been doing, because somebody said to me, we need to focus maybe more on souls. What I hope is that you get that same passion in the year to come, the passion of this rabbi from Tarsus, Paul, a passion so strong that he says, I would wish I would be accursed if somebody else could find Christ. I hope in the year to come you're able, like Paul, to feel about somebody else like he felt about those people. And in showing you that everything leads to God, I want each of you this new year to lead somebody to your God. That's my prayer. That's my hope. I want you to ask for Paul's passion. You know, we, we talk sometimes, and there are characters in the Bible that prayed for a portion of Elijah's passion. I want you to do the same thing for Paul. God, give me that kind of passion. Maybe a little short of it. Maybe you don't want to pray, God, let me be cursed so they can be found. I don't know that I could pray that strongly. But maybe a little short of his passion, you pray for that. And that in this year to come, that passion will cause you to lead somebody to Christ. Next week, we're going to start to look about how prayer and caring and giving and fasting can lead you to God. And you will be closer in this year to come to Him than you've ever been before by praying and caring and giving and fasting closer. Well, when I was uh, very young in ministry, I did not know how to conclude a message. And so sometimes I would say, well, that's about all I've got to say on that. And here, not so young, I find myself saying the same thing. For now, that's about all I've got to say on that. I want you to stand with me. As we stand really on the edge of a brand new year, what opportunities, what chances we're going to be given, what gifting we've been given, what a Christ we've been given, and we have an opportunity to change somebody for eternity. I want you to begin now to think, 
and say, God, show me one. Show me just one. One person that maybe in this year I, I can have enough passion to lead them to you. Maybe he'll drop somebody in your thinking right now. Maybe it'll be a year-long project. Maybe, maybe, you'll, maybe you'll reach the goal by February and then he'll have to give you another. That wouldn't be so bad. So Father, here we are. You've invited us into a relationship with you and your Son and your Spirit. We don't even know what that means. Only you know what that means. But we know it's very good. And it's way beyond what we have any right to ask or expect. But in your goodness, Lord, in this year to come, help our eyes to be open to see that everything that's happening in our lives Everything that's really happening in the world is somehow engineered so that we're led back to you. We're led back to you. I just realized how I want to close this service. And it's not in the clumsy way that I did before. I had a weird thing happen yesterday. We've kind of been a little sick at our house, so we've stayed home and uh, rested pretty much. I didn't go out too much yesterday. But along about 7 o'clock, I sat down to read the Word, and I read the 9th, 10th, and 11th chapter of Romans. And I caught Paul's passion a little bit. And then I came to the end of the 11th chapter where he's talking about how, yes, his people are away from God, but things will turn out so that one day, he says, all Israel will be saved. <laughs> but he doesn't know how that's going to happen. He realizes that there are so many strains and things that God is doing in his life, in their lives, in all of our lives, to make all that and more happen. And so he ends up with a prayer that just bursts out of him. And it goes like this, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How much God must know. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Or who's been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Well, the answer to all that is nobody. For from Him, through Him, and for Him are all things. You see, all things really do lead to God. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. But here's the weird thing that happened. I sat down at 7 o'clock and I focused on these last three verses for a long time. Just trying to absorb them and understand them and I reread them and I underlined and I looked up words and I just worked with those three verses. At one point I stopped and put a little note on Facebook that you may have picked up 
that said something like, I, I can't wait until tomorrow now to talk about Paul's passion because I was working through that. <coughs> but I, then I went back after I posted that little thing and I just kept going over those three verses again and again and again and again. And there was so much there. And it seemed like God had so much to show. And I looked at the clock on the desk and it said one o'clock. And I said, that can't be right. The dumb thing must have gotten unplugged and restarted itself. So I went in the other room and it said one o'clock. And I checked my phone and it was one o'clock. I'd sat there that long just looking at those three verses. And the time had gone just like that. If you'd said you were there that long, I'd have said you're lying. I want you to hear it again. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments. And His paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who's been His counselor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? So Lord, as we leave this place, not your presence, open our eyes to see that everything leads to you. That is our prayer for this year to come, Lord, that we would see everything leads to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray it. And everybody said amen. Turn to somebody and tell them you love them. Say, I loved you for a whole year. I'm going to love you for another year. You've been listening to a slightly inspired message from Fairfax Assembly, a different kind of church in Bakersfield, California. Find out more at www.fairfaxassembly.com.